0: Hello and welcome to You Matter. Hello and welcome to session 27 of You Matter, a podcast devoted to the health and well-being of clinicians. And on this episode, I'm talking to Joanna Rawbone, uh, originally an engineer, now a coach, facilitator and trainer, who comes under the title, or her business comes under the title, of The Flourishing Introvert. I invited Joanna on because I've become increasingly interested in the potential extrovert bias within healthcare. Um, I have been contacted and had conversations with lots of clinicians who describe themselves as, as introverts and sometimes wonder where their place is naturally in healthcare. So when I came across Joanna's work, I realized she was the ideal person to have this conversation with. And we discussed all sorts of things. We discussed uh, the definition of introvert, extrovert, how you know where you are on that scale. We talked about energy. We talked about thinking processes, uh, crossover with neurodiversity. We discussed whether or not there is an extroversion bias in healthcare. And most importantly, Joanna gave some really, really useful tips for how to make sure that you are accommodating all um, versions of introvert and extrovert in your businesses and in your organisations, and also ways, if you are more on the introvert side of the spectrum, to manage your own energy during a day and to respect and tailor your work towards the introversion or extroversion bias of your patients. So this podcast would be so interesting, whether or not you're a clinician, actually, but um, particularly in the world of healthcare, I think it will uh, offer you some insights into your own way of being, probably your patients, your your friends, your family as well, and you'll certainly go away with some tips. Uh, I always forget to say this, but please, if you are able, do um, leave a rating for the podcast, because it helps other people to find it, and to be able to source uh, tips and tricks to help them manage their own health and well-being. Enjoy the conversation, and I will be back at the end of the podcast. So, hello and welcome to session twenty-seven of You Matter, and I'm delighted to have as my guest on this session, Joanna Rawbone. Now, Joanna Rawbone has got a very interesting history. She trained originally as an engineer. She moved into the coaching world and describes herself now as a a coach, facilitator and trainer. And Joanna tells me that uh, back in 1994 was when she developed her coaching business. Uh, But it was much later, around 2018, that it finally dawned on Joanna. She says that she needed to be working more consciously with the quiet ones, with the introverts, and around a similar time, she came across a definition of the word flourishing, which I'm going to get her to say more about in a moment. But the the word flourishing just spoke to Joanna and hence the Flourishing Introvert was born as the new title for her coaching business. Later, the Flourishing Introvert Talks, the title for a podcast. And I think the Flourishing Introvert Show, did you say, Joanna, for (laughs) a YouTube channel? Loads and loads of um, places to find Joanna. And she also did a TED Talk in 2019, I think she said. So, Joanna, welcome. Thank you. I almost think you are the Flourishing Introvert. That's what I think of you as. Do you think of yourself as that now? (laughs) I do. And one of the
1: things I often say is, and we'll come across it in the definition as well, is that flourishing is a choice and it's a choice we make moment by moment. So it's it's our, it's our journey. It's our, um, rather than the destination, we don't arrive and say, that's it, I've flourished. <laughs> it, it's one of those things that's an ongoing choice we make moment by moment. And what was it about this particular definition of flourishing that really spoke to you? I'm actually going to read the definition because each part of it, when I try and unpack it, is so comprehensive and so beautiful that it's worth getting kind of absolutely right. So this comes from the positive psychologist, Dr. Lynn Suerts, and she says, flourishing is the product of the pursuit and engagement of an authentic life. So it's a very active thing, hence Mm. that journey, not the destination. And it brings inner joy and happiness – Who doesn't want that? Through meeting goals, being connected with life passions and relishing in the accomplishments of or through the peaks and valleys of life. And for me, that is absolutely perfect in terms of what I intend for introverts who make the decision actually to show up fully, to get out of their own way, to stop hiding, to stop pretending whatever's been going on in the past and and it's so important that we recognize there are those peaks and valleys of life you know life isn't all roses neither is it all despair doom and gloom and for me it's about really enjoying the journey and finding out what we learn along that journey mm. and, and so that's why for me i think flourishing really is a choice you know i i can either get into the pit of despair and choose to choose to kind of hide again or i can say actually I've found something. And so for many of your audience, it may be that they've found their thing that brings them inner joy and happiness, although it may not always feel like it with the pressure of work. And that's why it's about navigating those peaks and valleys, really.
0: I love that definition. And actually, I can't remember the word annoyingly, but it reminded me a little bit of I think it's a, a sort of branch of stoicism, which yes. talks about living a pleasurable life, but not with the notion that you just sit back and it, it all happens. Absolutely. There is, as you say, that active engagement and a certain amount of personal accountability for pursuing that yeah. pleasure. Maybe and there I, are crossovers with positive psychology. Absolutely. And
1: and for me, that there also comes in that whole piece around f- fulfilment and what does fulfilment to you mean to you? And there are... Um, certain consistent factors, enduring factors of of fulfillment. And one of them that, I I won't remember it word perfect, but one of them is about um, experiencing an unfolded life. Mm -hmm. And again, that just lights me up because I have this sense of opening up, opening myself up rather than being kind of contained and and shriveled in some way. So it, it also plays into the Marianne Williamson thing of, you know, you're playing small, doesn't serve the world. And opening up so that what I'm doing is using my natural abilities and my strengths just seems like such a wonderful
0: thing to do. And I can see how that fits so perfectly with the notion of a, I guess, perception of a closed up introverted person and then that's the potential for opening up so we haven't even got to the word introvert yet (laughs) everyone (laughs) definitions (laughs) that was going to be my first question but the flourishing bit was really interesting so um how do I know I'm an introvert Joanna Mm. Um, I you know obviously most of us in our lifetime have grown up um knowing about the archetype introvert extrovert and there's a tendency even when you're a child I think to try and decide which you are these days the more I read um more times than not I can fit myself into both definitions all the time. Yeah. So how does not just me how does one know if one is an introvert? This is such
1: a great question because there are so many things that are conflated with introversion. So we need to kind of unpack some of those as well. And there's also this notion that it is a continuum. And of course we can be a bit of both. So for me, the way that I help people understand whether they naturally identify as introverted or extroverted is where they get their energy from and what drains their energy. So typically the introvert and if we go back to Jung's original definition, you know, introvert means to focus inwardly. Mm-hmm. And typically what happens or what we know now from studies is that we are already as introverts, we are already overstimulated mentally. So the external stimulation that let's face it these days is everywhere mm-hmm. and often just tip us over the edge. It's too much for many introverts. So. We can't judge whether somebody is an introvert or an extrovert by the way they behave, because I'm absolutely an introvert. And yet I can turn on the extroverted behaviors when I need to. When I when I'm training, when I'm sometimes when I'm facilitating, certainly when I'm MCing big events, you know, they're the times where I need to have a certain energy, I need mm. to have something about me. When I'm networking, for instance. But in each of those occasions. When I feel my batteries drain, what I need to do is to go away and recharge quietly. Yeah. So either lock myself away, take myself on a long walk in nature, get out, do some gardening, maybe some craft. I, you know, I, I love knit, um, knitting and cross-stitching, not that I get much time to do it. Or as my husband and I often joke, be with each other in companionable silence. So nice. we can be together but not necessarily have to talk all the time. And all of those things are ways in which I recharge my batteries. That's distinct from typically somebody who is identifies as an extrovert who needs that social interaction in order to recharge their batteries.
0: Mm.
1: So, when they are Feeling their batteries drain, imagine them in a library or somewhere quiet where there wasn't enough energy or stuff going on. They would feel their batteries drain. And that's where what they need to do is get out and talk to people, be in a busy, noisy, bustly kind of environment. Mm -hmm. And so, in the same way that we can be a classic introvert, and I've got a quiz that people can take that helps them understand what type of introvert they are, I can be a classic introvert, which is an introvert with introvert tendencies. Or I can be an introvert with extrovert tendencies, which means I have access to some of those extroverted behaviours, but in a way that doesn't drain my batteries as if I were pretending to use them. No, I have natural access to them. And likewise, we can have absolute natural extroverts or extroverts with introvert tendencies. Mm. So for me, the big telling thing is when my batteries are draining, where do I
0: go to get my energy? That's for me the big sense. test, and you've talked on your podcast. Uh, I like the um, notion you talk about a like a trickle recharge or a like a big boost. um And I think correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of it was that an extrovert can almost gain a trickle charge by interactions that probably naturally occur through the day, yes. whereas an introvert will need to go away and consciously plug themselves in for a big supercharge over a period of time.
1: Spot on. You know, every time an extrovert is in an open plan office, in a busy clinic, you know, wherever they happen to be, and there are interactions going on, they're getting that little top up all the time. Simon Sinek describes it beautifully, actually. He says that when introverts wake up in the morning, they have five coins, and every big interaction they have, it costs them a coin. So they lose a coin. Extroverts wake up with no coins. And every interaction, they gain a coin. And so they mm-hmm. they are they are recharging throughout all of those interactions because they need the external stimulation, whereas we are losing them. It's costing us. So when we're once we're out of coins, we need to go back to the bank of recharging
0: in order to replenish our coins. Uh, I wonder if that has any relationship between defining yourself as a morning or an evening person as well, depending on when your, your battery is full. Yeah, 100%. it could be. Um, you mentioned, Joanna, a crossover with other um, archetypes or definitions. And um, these days with so much more awareness and talk around neurodiversity, yeah. um, I've had a conversation with a friend around whether there are parallels with particularly things like hypersensitivity. Um other forms of neurodiversion as well but when you describe that um you know being in certain environments will overstimulate an introverted person um and you know, hypersensitivity can be part of almost so many other neurodiverse definitions yes. have you investigated this or thought about it at all i have
1: yes and and it's not cut and dried in no. that there, there can be extroverts who also have the hypersensitivity, the hyperfocus, whatever it is we, right. we to kind of explore. There does seem to be um, some kind of parallel with identifying as an introvert and having that hypersensitivity, hyperfocus. Certainly some of the clients I've been working with will attest to that, but it's not as clean cut as it's more, you know, it's an introvert right. thing. Yeah. In the same way that, you know, some of the myths and misunderstandings around introversion and some of the things that get conflated with introversion are things like social anxiety. Right. Now, you know, social anxiety typically is an overwhelming fear of social situations. So I'm part of quite a few introvert groups where that's evident in most of the things that people are posting, but that's not purely an introvert thing. There are extroverts who fear social interactions, social situations. And can you imagine how difficult that is, needing that social interaction in order to recharge and at the same time fearing it? You know, that's a really tough thing. and um, it also gets conflated with being a misanthrope which is where you know you hate people introverts don't hate people they just need to have the right level of charge in their social and mental batteries in order to engage mm. um you know often depression we you know because introverts need time alone they're therefore labeled as loners who must be depressed no not true at all it's mm. just that when i and You know, quite a lot of the the community I'm part of, will, I'll go out and socialise with them, and then all of a sudden I'll disappear, and people say Joe's gone for a quick recharge. It's all right. So, so it's not that I I hate people or don't like being around people or need to be on my own all of the time. Actually, very very few people in humanity who who don't need other people around them. What we need is the right kind of people who understand us, the people who are not dementors who just kind of don't. (laughs) completely suck the energy out of us
0: yeah yeah and um that business of actually liking people one of the aspects of introversion that I can personally really identify with is hating small talk and when I talk to someone wanting to know everything about them rather than you know I'm not I don't think I am a classic introvert but um I have read in your work and others, that actually you know, introverts want to go straight deep down um, that rabbit hole. They don't want to spend the time, they really want to know you, they're really interested in you. It's not just surface level interest.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and again, this is one of the things that I help a lot of clients with because when I see them say, I hate small talk. I think one of the things we need to understand is those deep generative conversations that we really value are just the other side of that first awkwardness around, around the, this, you know, the chit chat or the small talk. So what I help people do is, is have a little bank of questions that get the other people talking because the small talk, if we look at the real purpose behind those social niceties of small talk, It's about starting to build rapport, seeing where we have things in common or don't, seeing whether I get a sense of whether I can trust this person, especially from an introvert perspective, to open up to them because we're far less likely to open up straight away. So we need that little bit of, actually, is this somebody that that I can get on the same wavelength with? And we don't do that by going straight to the big, Mm. deep conversations. There needs to be something first. So I think it's about helping us understand how to do that bit of small talk in a way that doesn't feel icky, that doesn't feel pointless to us.
0: Yeah. Okay. I will try to stop terrifying uh, deep interviews by going too far too quickly. (laughs) It's a good note to self there. Um, Johnny, you almost touched a little bit in your explanation there on a kind of morality around introversion or extroversion. Yeah. And I, you know, I can see it both ways. I think probably, um, most people will have heard of some notion that our society is very biased towards extroverts and that we praise extrovert behavior. Yeah. Um, but I also see it slightly the other way that sometimes I long to be those wonderful people in meetings who just sit quietly and then just land this amazing point in a single sentence at the end and I have so much admiration for them and you know there's a sort of morality the other way in in Mm. that thinking. but I I mean I'm sure you're going to say it's bonkers either way but there is this kind of judgment thing isn't there?
1: There is and I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that from early childhood onwards, we are bought up with the notion that the extrovert ideal is what we're aspiring to. Mm. So we encourage children, and, and it's quite different from when I grew up, when I was encouraged that I must speak to everyone, and now we're much more guarded, and like, you you know, you don't speak to strangers, etc. But But in school, you know, we and having talked to a number of educators we see evidence of this in that teachers unless they understand the the extraversion introversion continuum will will actually say that they're concerned about a child who seems to spend a lot of time on their own and you know parents evenings there may be things and I I wonder whether my parents had this too late to ask now, but, you know, we worry about your Joanna because she spends her break times on her own. Mm. Because what I now know is absolutely I did because I was trying to do a quick recharge ready for the next class where I I was expected to engage, where I was expected to kind of stick my hand up and, and share the answer. And that continues on through into early year or into kind of further and higher education, where there's a lot of project work these days. And many of the introvert clients I work with will will say that they're the quiet ones left doing the work, while the others are busy talking about it, and and often don't deliver. Mm. And and then that moves on through into business, through the whole recruitment process, assessment centres, even meetings where extroverts, because they're good with that you know, off the cuff, spontaneous uh, interaction. We'll we'll call a quick, you know, meeting that the introvert has had no time to prepare for at all, and therefore doesn't know where they stand on certain things because they haven't been given time to consider it. And then during that meeting, are considered often to be disengaged or not having a point of view. When actually, what we need to recognize is that if we want to be to create that inclusive. In culture where people do feel psychologically safe, then let's give people a chance to prepare so that they know what their point of view is, so that they can show up as themselves rather than what I did for two decades, which was pretending to be more extroverted, because that's what society seemed to demand. All of my colleagues who were lauded were those who were, you know, big personalities, entertainers, Mm. rather than the more thoughtful, reflective, quiet people. So there is something here about we, we value sociability. We value assertiveness. We we value, um, you know, how outgoing people are. In assessment centres, we will mark people on the number of contributions they make rather than the quality of the contributions. And mm-hmm. that goes back to that point you made about, you know, people who sit quietly through a meeting and then just land the absolute nugget are the ones that we tend to really take seriously. Mm. And we seem to value that over the kind of the introspection, the thoughtfulness, because we we think those people are too slow. The quieter ones are too slow in today's busy, fast-paced environment. Now, of course, there are some decisions that need to be made quickly, but not all decisions. And often when we make the decisions too quickly, we have to go back and recover the situation because we haven't actually addressed the root cause. We've maybe put a sticking plaster over the presenting issue. Mm. So I think it's about recognizing that we need both. And if we're in a situation that demands thoughtfulness and time to make decisions let the introverts take the lead. Mm. And when we need that faster paced decision making, let the extroverts take the lead. But let's recognise that each has a valuable contribution to make and each type adds value.
0: And have you seen any good examples of systems within businesses that allow for both that fast and slow contribution?
1: I won't say necessarily systems but I think there is something around the way we approach for instance problem solving and decision making in that you know as soon as we have a robust process so that what we're doing is kind of diverging and making sure that we're getting a you know a raft of different thoughts and ideas on a problem before we then converge again and make our final decision. And the way we diverge, you know, a lot of people will say it's about brainstorming. Well, brainstorming in a, in the way we typically use it, it is an excellent extrovert process <laughs> because I'm just going to call things out, you know, off the top of my head. Whereas if we do that kind of silent, make a few notes yourself on sticky notes and then stick the sticky notes on the wall and see where the commonality is and where there's a pattern, we're now playing to both of those um, preferred types. And and possibly what we need to do is the quiet process first, then let's join it up. Because if we do the noisy process first,
0: typically as the introvert, I won't have been given time to think about Mm. it. And that really sounds like what I've heard you describe as the um, say, think, say process of the extrovert who thinks through talking and the think, say, think process Mm -hmm. of the introvert. Um, It's also reminding me of a couple of coaching clients I've had recently who I haven't particularly sort of thought of as introverted, but now I'm reflecting. Um, They both described a version of a process where they described a sort of cloud of ideas that would circle for a while. And they were, they kind of knew they were there. And if they tried to organize them too early, um, it would feel restrictive. But then there was often a moment where they would just converge. Yeah. And once they had and a decision was made, they felt very sure and definite about that decision. Yes. And it also reminds me of my father, who absolutely is an introvert and an engineer, actually. And um, my sister and I used to um, get on at him for taking so long to produce an answer, and you can only be this rude in families, could not you? But mm-hmm. we des- we decided there should be a traffic light system um, on his head. We were quite young at the time, <laughs> um, where red was that was a stupid question. I'm not even going to entertain yes. it. And he did sometimes say that to us um amber meant i've heard you there is an answer being processed you're just going to have to wait and green brace yourself it's <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice i like it <laughs> and again one of the things you know one of the well one of the many things that introverts need to do in order to show up fully but still be authentic is to be able to sometimes either pre-frame or um or put a stake in the ground so that actually what they do is they stay in the conversation so that if somebody is asking for their ideas, what often introverts do a bit like your dad is kind of just sit back and mull it over. But a a bit like a cash machine, a hole in the wall, we don't know whether there's anything happening. I mean, (laughs) one of the fascinating analogies I love, and I do hope it's true, I was told it was, and I do hope it is is that cash machines could be completely silent, but they engineer in noise so that we're, rah, 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 we're reassured something is happening. Oh. Because if we put our card, you know, our precious card in the wall and nothing happened, we couldn't hear anything, we would start to panic that actually it's just eaten our card. Mm. and And I think we need to give people some clues, a bit like the traffic light, but actually explicitly, And one of the things I say to people is it's important that what you can do is use a placeholder. And for me, a placeholder is something like, that's a fascinating question. And I'm going to have to take some time to think about that because already I can see two or three different ideas emerging. So let's come back to that in 20 minutes or so, or Mm -hmm. tomorrow or whatever it happens to be, because now I've communicated that it hasn't gone into a black hole I have understood and I'm processing.
0: I love that. Yeah, I have heard you talk about that placeholder. Um, Mm. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And um, I can see how much better thinking from extroverts or introverts could happen if we all use that a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we haven't talked specifically about healthcare um, as yet, but a lot of people listening to this podcast will be clinicians and quite a large proportion of those will be physiotherapists. And I'm going to talk for the moment as a physiotherapist and my assumptions, because they're definitely assumptions, which I've um, had caused to question a lot over the years, but I think I make the assumption that most people attracted to physiotherapy are more likely to be extroverts. Um, right. Why would I say that? Um A lot of us come through um, sport, Mm -hmm. um, which may have required us to be part of a team and quite involved and quite vocal and um, be part of that process. Um, Another part of it might be what you envisage about what the job's going to be day to day. And in fact, the reality, particularly if you work in um, an MSK department and you've got a different patient coming in every half an hour, maybe even less, um, that kind of need to, I want of a better phrase, get people on board quickly, mm-hmm. work out what's going on, get a process going and elicit some process of change quite quickly. Um, but, as I get older um, and definitely change myself, um, and as I meet more and more therapists and, and see so many different ways of working, um, I can see how there is there is so much space for this quieter reflection, obviously, <laughs> with patients. Um, but also so many so many problems for a more introverted person in the way our day is structured. You know, the thing I've just said, just literally meet someone new every half hour, mm. have to gain trust very quickly, have to get to the root of a problem um, and move things on. One of the things that I've thought of since listening to your work is um around this idea of quick transformation. So you were talking about it on a podcast in relation to coaching transformation mm-hmm. and you were absolutely right you made reference to uh that transformational coaching has become very much in vogue yes and we're all looking for the big shift and and the quick big shift if we're honest um and it just occurs to me in physiotherapy how much a place there probably is for the slightly more introverted physiotherapist to take things more slowly but about the poor old introverted patient mm. who isn't up for a massive shift on day one. Mm. Um, I've thrown a load of thoughts at you there, Joanna. Feel free to pick <laughs> whatever you picked up in my <laughs> ramblings. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and and it is something that I've I've given thought to as a client, as a patient, mm. not necessarily of physiotherapy, because I haven't had that for a while, but of other therapies, kind of physical manual fa- therapies, certainly mm. for sure. And I'll talk from the patient-client perspective to begin with, which is that typically when I'm going to somebody for that kind of treatment, that kind of help, I may not be feeling that sure of myself. I may be feeling a bit vulnerable. It may have been a big thing for me to do to recognize that actually I need help. Because one of the things, and again, it's not 100%, but one of the things typically is that introverts are very resourceful and we will often try and sort things out ourselves rather than asking for help so by the time we get to that point of recognizing we need help or you know if if it's physio after a hip replacement or a knee replacement or whatever it, whatever it is then actually we know we're in the hands of somebody else and how much control will i will i have in that so I think for me, there's something to be said about almost quickly recognizing what time of what type of patient client you have in front of you. Mm. Is it someone who is going to open up fairly quickly and, and comes in kind of full of bounce and verve and, you know, is when you say, how are you today, gives you a whole long stream of things? Or is it somebody who comes in and says, yeah, I'm not too bad? you know a bit better than yesterday in which case you're then having to do more of the open questioning mm. thing so i think there is something about being prepared to take things quietly calmly at the pace of the the person in front of you mm. because for me transformation and i use the dave brailsford you know the um the sky the team marginal gain yeah the mm. marginal gain approach here in that you know in many cases whether it's personal coaching whether it's physical work that you're doing here those small adjustments that we make that are sustainable that then the individual can hang on to actually form quite a powerful transformation over time as they stack up and i think for many of the quieter people that's the kind of transformation we're looking for because the big bang transformation can feel a bit scary for Mm. us, actually. Mm. And then if I look at it from the practitioner perspective, my concern for the quieter practitioners, and, and I have a big question, actually, about whether the therapists have felt they should be extroverted, because that's what they think the situation demands. And sometimes it will, and sometimes it won't. And the more we settle into our zone of genius, the more we recognize that actually it's showing up as who we really are that matters and then being able to flex to the situation. But I think my big concern would be, you know, if you're seeing these people one after the other, where does the introverted therapist get time to recharge? Yes. And for me, that's a big concern. And it's why I introduce things like my brilliant battery boosters, because, you know, you can get a, you know, the, the little battery charger that gives you the extra hour of juice for your mobile phone for instance yes they i think we as introverts we need little moments of charge like that that when we can't have a half hour break when we can't just step away from it all that what we can do is use a few little techniques that just give us that extra little bit that we need. Now, whether that's acupressure, which works re- really well, whether it's aromatherapy that works really well, you know, whether it's just a bit of movement yourself, your own stretching and moving before the next person comes in through the door. i th- a bit of music. I'm I'm known for having a dance break every now and again. And I don't really mind who hears outside the room. But, you know, it can be just those moments that give us a bit of charge ready for the next person. And we know that as therapists, as coaches, we often need to do a state change between yes. between clients. And I think the same thing happens here. But how do you do that quickly if you've got a quick succession of people coming in through the door?
0: Such a good suggestion and um, makes me very thoughtful because I'm also a clinic business owner with quite a few people working with me. I mm. um, remember something a, a physiotherapist coaching client said to me once. Um, that it, She said, it feels like I start the day with a deflated balloon and I go in and see my first patient. And I put a bit of air into it. Um, and then I go straight into the next one and I put a bit more in and I put a bit more in and this balloon just gets bigger and bigger and I never, she said, what I feel I need is really what you've just described. I need a moment to go and take some air out of the balloon in between each client. And what it's making me think as a business owner is um, that there are things we can offer in the clinic very differently to different therapists. Um, At our last um, whole clinic meeting, an idea was proposed, um, it's sort of post-COVID that we were all recognising like so many businesses that we spend much less time in the staff room together just yes. having those moments to chat. Um, and we, one of our actions at the end of that meeting was to try and reinstate that in some way, um, mm-hmm. to try and set by half-hour periods in the staff room um, to chat. But interestingly, when we've sort of sent out messages to set this actually in motion, there hasn't been an overwhelming and certainly not across the board response. And I'm just thinking maybe for some people that's actually their worst nightmare. Um, And we need to offer something else like a quiet space. I was just thinking that, a quiet room, yeah. Yeah, go and spend, like you say, you might not have half an hour, but five minutes in a space that is like the quiet um, carriage on the train. Um, Absolutely. And Laura
1: Coleman talks about those, you know, meditation moments, those mindful moments, you know, we don't have to have 40 minutes of OM in order to kind of quiet our minds, but, uh, you know, a a process where that room or, you know, is recognised as the mindful room. yeah, And, you know, we can go in there and just have five minutes that, you know, is whatever the surroundings are and things in there that, you know, maybe there is a little aromatherapy incense burner or something or some crystals, you know, whatever it happens to be, that people just as they walk in the door, there's that, you know, the symbolical, you know, there's a catalyst for actually, and let the air out of the balloon, exhale.
0: Mm. Nice yeah. idea. And so easy, cheap, um, yeah. easy to implement. Yeah, I love that.
1: And it might even be one of my other clients actually. Um they're they're a professional services firm. And I was I was staggered when I first saw this. But in one of their um restrooms, they have a table with an ongoing jigsaw. And at lunch, a few of them would go with a sandwich or a coffee. And just sit quietly around this table. They might chat, they might not, and just kind of put a few more pieces in the jigsaw and then kind of go away again. Mm. And they all talked about how therapeutic they found that to do that, a bit like coloring, I suppose, for adults now, you know, any of those things. So to have a jigsaw or a coloring book in there where people can just lose themselves for a few moments.
0: Amazing idea. Yeah, I, I have occasionally run week-long retreats and I always have a jigsaw on the go. It's a lovely place where you can have a jigsaw outside. People scoffed at it at the start of the week. By the end of the week, everyone's got involved according to their own personality and approach on the jigsaw as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We're going to have a quiet room with incense and a jigsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely some things to take away. Um, you've also uh talked about that really helpful idea of the the brainstorming versus the collect ideas more slowly and allow people that thinking time. Mm. Is there anything else can um, be particular to healthcare or not that you have found might help the quiet ones and help us to move away from this extroversion bias a little bit?
1: I think one of the big things is introverts ne- typically need time and space. Mm -hmm. So, we need space to recharge. We need space to gather our our thoughts. We need time to gather our thoughts. So, just being really mindful that an impromptu meeting isn't going to work. So, when there are some decisions to be made or some problems to be solved, that we give people 48-hour notice where possible Mm -hmm. so that they can start to mull things over in their own minds so that they come to the joint meeting with some thoughts of their own. They can then contribute those into that kind of more spontaneous problem solving, but they've been given the heads up. They, they know what their ideas are rather than just saying, okay, we've got a problem. Let's get together in five minutes and sort this out. Now, sometimes you do have to do that, but nine times out of 10, there's nothing that you know, can't have a few hours notice or two days notice or whatever. So I think for me, the big thing is always time and space. So don't, when we don't feel rushed, because we won't make our best decisions, we won't feel good about ourselves and our contribution when we've been rushed. Because typically, what what will happen is an hour, two hours, 24 hours later, we'll go so no, why didn't i think of that why didn't i say that why didn't i contribute that mm. i think that's the big thing and then when you are together i think it's about really being again mindful of who are the who are the the typical kind of constant contributors and who are the quieter ones and what doesn't work for many of us is to say joe you haven't said anything yet is there is there anything you want to add because no that puts me on the spot but one of my clients does this really great thing where they say, okay, we've we've explored that. I'm going to leave the decision-making process open until tomorrow. So if any of you have any more ideas, okay. come to me before tomorrow or just pop it in an email and we m- can make sure that we incorporate that in the final decision. And again, that allows the more reflective, quieter ones, if they couldn't get heard in the meeting, to still
0: contribute. Mm, fantastic. Well, Johnny, you've given me a lot to think about as a clinician and a business owner, some really good ideas, some really practical advice. Um, I'm going to not worry so much whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert, because <laughs> I can hear it fluctuates.
1: Well, and yes, and because we, it's not the behaviour, it's that recharging need. And mm. people will often say, oh, I'm an ambivert, I'm a bit of both. And Jung did talk about ambiverts, but typically or you know what we know about ambiverts is that they are equally recharged so when their batteries drain they can either go out into any noisy busy lively environment and engage in the banter or they can go off on their own and typically there are few of them but not as many as we think
0: mm, really interesting thank you so much um you mentioned a little profiling tool or is that something we could add as a link in the notes to this so people could have a look at that if they wish?
1: Absolutely. Yes. It's very simple and you can find it on my website, which is obviously just flourishingintroverts.com. But it's just your introvert type.co.uk and that will get you to the quiz. And if you're an extrovert, it will chuck you out after the first two questions. Oh, really? <laughs> so if it gets you past that, then you'll you'll get in to understand what type of introvert you are. And there there are six types. There is, you know, the classic and then the five uh, other kind of blend types of introvert that have access to those extrovert behaviors. And and if you If, for instance, come out as an engaging, sociable, dynamic introvert, which is quite possible, nobody who knows you will accept that you're an introvert. They'll say, you're not, I've seen you on stage, I've Mm. seen you in meetings, I've seen you at parties, there's no way you're an introvert, but what they don't know is that thing, when the battery's drained, I'm away.
0: Well, oh, I'm definitely going to go and do that. That sounds really interesting. Um, you mentioned your website. Is yes. that the best way for people to learn more about what you do and get hold of you? Absolutely. So flourishingintroverts.com, you'll find my TEDx
1: talk, you'll find my podcast, you'll find my TV show, you'll find some freebie downloadables like the brilliant battery boosters I talked about, uh, like raising an introvert child, all of those um, free things are there, plus um a, f- a few other bits and pieces so that's apps and the quiz so that's absolutely the best place to find everything
0: amazing i'm sure people are going to enjoy that and actually on the back of this podcast and um, joanna the week after it's released i'm going to run um five days of hopefully very useful resources for introverts and um i'm going to go and draw your website <laughs> to see what i can find on there to to back those up but yeah i think you you have given so much um inspiration to people who would naturally identify as introverts. And I think you've probably helped uh, certainly me and I'm sure people listening to understand how to manage other people on on all ends of the spectrum. And that can only be good for for all of us, can't it? Absolutely.
1: Because, you know, for me, the time has stopped either for introverts to feel they have to pretend or to feel that they're not good enough because they're not like the extrovert ideal, you know. We all add such value. Let's really recognize that.
0: Lovely. Thank you so much for being a guest, Joanna. I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Thank you, Jo. There you are, introverts, extroverts, ambiverts, and everything in between. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. What a font of knowledge, what a thoughtful person Joanna is, and what a load of useful tips um, she had to, to help us navigate our own lives, those of our patients, um, those are the people we work with, I, I hope you are able to take away um, some things to really put into practice um, in your life and in your workplace. I mentioned at the end of the episode that I will be running um, an introvert week on MeHub, which is my Facebook group, M-E-H-U-B. So, if you recognise, particularly that you are more on the introverted end of the spectrum as a clinician, and you're not yet a member of MeHub, then please do come and join the group. Um, the the posts and the sort of conversation invitations will be definitely tailored towards the introvert spectrum this week. You will feel very safe, and I hope very at home. So please come, please do come along and join me there on MeHub. And uh, don't forget to check out the resources that Joanna mentioned on her own site, The Flourishing Introvert. Maybe have a little go at that profiling tool she described, and, and see where you where you sit on the spectrum, or see if you get kicked out as a um, impos- imposter extrovert. Is that a thing? <laughs> Just introduce something else to be paranoid about. Anyway. Um, have I got anything else to say? No, I really hope you enjoyed the episode. And I really hope that whether you are an introvert or an extrovert uh, clinician focusing on looking after other people in all spheres of your life all day and every day, then please remember to take time for yourself in a way that best suits your uh, introvert or extrovert place on the spectrum. And remember that you matter. Thank you.